one. Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Monday, September 11th. And after a seemingly long hiatus, plus an extra week where we have a podcast lost to the depths of time, I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. Max, how's it going, my friend? Feeling the funniest deja vu right now. Um, really tried to get around and switch up the podcasting format and be smart about it and just felt stupid every step of the way. Uh, so I guess if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And good to be back. Love it. Uh, we did talk a little bit of FIBA last time. We talked US Open last time, uh, previewed the NFL slate uh, and and combat corner as well but uh, an even more action-packed jam pod for the folks today as we dive right back into the thick of sports season here in september and we are just getting started max uh nfl just starting up luckily we do have the FIBA world cup otherwise basketball hockey on their way playoff baseball right around the corner of course the u.s open and combat corner with big events uh this this past week and uh, not to mention international or or across the pond football as well um, that we can begin talking about in the near future. So plenty and plenty to discuss. Max, do we have any sorts on the agenda to kick us off today? I, I feel like the stupid and terrible was me this week. <laughs> so we'll just leave it at that and uh, move a lot right into the sports. Because as you said, there is a lot to get after. I think the U.S. Open is fair game for starting uh, the fourth and final Grand Slam of the calendar year. If not for the magnitude of the event itself, then the magnitude of the result certainly speaks for itself with Novak Djokovic be winning his goddamn 24th major and 19-year-old Coco Goff winning her first four years after her uh, debut at the U.S. Open. So the men's result a bigger, a bit bigger, a bit more to talk about, a bit of a more enjoyable match personally. We lose out to the dream match, the Djokovic Alcaraz Grand Slam trilogy for 2023, mm. because Daniel Medvedev simply plays a wonderful match against Alcaraz, pushes him in ways he hadn't be, been pushed, uh, shows off the pride and stubbornness of that far back style. Uh, coming up really clutch in the fourth set when Alcaraz had nothing left in the tank and was just spamming the serve and volley because it had been working so well. And Medvedev was finally able to put together a couple of returns in a row. He also did a good job of that in the tiebreak in the first set. And that combined with some really strong serving was enough to shake the nerves and the mentality of Alcaraz, something we haven't seen too much this year books his ticket to the finals against a Djokovic who dropped just two sets on his own route to the finals. No surprise, Novak's win over Ben Shelton. And then they play, <laughs> they play. He hung up on him. He hung oh, up on him. Boy. I loved it. Yeah. It was ice cold too. Like he looked just business, ruthless mentality. And then the final against Medvedev, it was really a match. I mean, most tennis matches are, but like a lot of different phases throughout the match. 
And so much of that phase felt like neck and neck, tight, tense tennis. Uh, but when the dust cleared, it was a three straight sets victory for Djokovic. And one that I've seen a lot of people around the tour commenting that it leads the tour a little boring for them right now with Djokovic having won three of four slams and appeared in the final of all four. So let's talk a little about the match. Like I said, kind of three phases to this one. And the first was a slow start for Medvedev. Uh, he had a half chance on Djokovic's service game, but wasn't able to get too much into it. And then on his own, had a double fault, an error, uh, and gave Djokovic half the leg up. Didn't only made one serve, first serve on that game. Uh, it was clear what he wanted to do. He wanted to bring out his defensive brand of tennis out, uh, stand behind the baseline, and just dare Djokovic to go for the winner. And especially early, because it was quite a physical match, and they both gassed not too long in. Um, but that early first set, even when Medvedev wasn't quite on his game and was building up to a little low, it was just like such tense tennis because you often see one defensive specialist playing someone else and daring them to go for it. Um, and the passing shots will still be there somewhat. But when it's defense versus defense and neither guy wants to put the energy into well and truly ripping it because they know there's just such a low chance they actually get it by the other guy. And chances are the defensive specialist on the other end is just going to return it deep and give you almost no advantage to play on that ball. It becomes kind of a waste of energy to rip it unless you're almost certain you've got the one-shot kill lined up. So just a lot of tentative uh, chess match rallying, like a battle of nerves, who shakes first. And in the early game, Medvedev did enough to give Djokovic a break. And Djokovic was able to front run that. The rest of the set was tense. It was tight. Uh, Medvedev stepped up that level and didn't really get into trouble again on his service game. Didn't conjure up any break points on Djokovic's serve. So even if it wasn't a smooth, easy hold and there were some tense moments in that first set, uh, it went pretty cleanly and clearly to Djokovic. And the second set looking much the same from the start. Medvedev goes to deuce every time on his serve. I think Djokovic puts something like 15 points in a row straight on his own serve. And then midway through that second set, Medvedev makes a tricky hold, has to fight off some break points. And then suddenly Djokovic's first serve slows way down and Medvedev really starts getting into the games. He's able to get one break point, um, doesn't get it, but keeps like just barreling through his service games, really pushing, testing Djokovic. Where it gets rougher for him is uh, he does conjure up one more breakup point at 6-5. Or, yeah, I believe it was 6-5. So a set point. And uh, just doesn't do enough with it. Like, uh, I think that's the one where he kind of came to the net and just like, didn't like not a smash, but volleyed it straight to Djokovic and gave him a surprisingly hittable passing shot. So they go to a tie break. Medvedev gets a mini break. Djokovic plays well to get it back. And um, I didn't mention, but like mid the other big turning point in the middle of that second set was Djokovic gassed. There was one point where he was running up and down. I mean, 
there were so many 20 plus shot rallies like it was just a constant it wasn't really even a remarkable turn of events when it happened and after one of those rallies Djokovic lay down and you could see his chest just pumping up and down we've seen many times him in that situation and he does always recover so that early on it didn't feel like the match was over it was more how much of an advantage can Medvedev grab while Djokovic is down and outs like this and can he turn the momentum completely and make Djokovic come from behind by the time he gets his fitness back so that was the real opportunity for him in the second combined with the poor serving of Djokovic which was certainly related I'd say uh and in the end he couldn't um Djokovic able to fight back in that tie break get a mini break up of his own or no he didn't get a mini break but just making Medvedev serve to stay in the tie break and a backhand he had been hitting all match uh goes into the net three four shots into the rally first I thought his nerves choked then in the changeover you see them furiously massaging his left shoulder and I don't know if you know anything about the backhand of Medvedevo but it's even weirder than my left-handed shot in that he puts like a good hand of space between his left and his right hand so it's really his left arm doing a lot of the work with his right arm going so seeing him massaging that left shoulder it begs the question like how is he going to hit his backhand which is his best shot for the rest of the match it's one of my favorite things about Djokovic oh like he he looks hurt he looks wounded he looks mortal guys on the other side of the net like the the stars light up in their eyes and then they still like it it should be easy but it's not easy even if Djokovic looks down and out they're still fighting so hard for points and somewhere along the way in that process where they're fighting where they think they have an injured opponent on the other side they find themselves more injured and more out of it and more in trouble and I think that's more or less what happened because uh, in the third set you saw the backhand break down a little more also down two sets to nothing against the greatest player of all time it must be impossible to psych yourself up and truly believe you still have a chance at winning the match so it wasn't too much of a shock to see Medvedev serve break down he did break back but Djokovic broke right back again and the match point kind of said it all like Medvedev abandoned that style that he'd been playing most of the match defensively just started swinging for the fences and third or fourth uh try hits the net so it, it felt incredibly tense my friend and I watching were nervous we're on edge we're reacting quite physically to a lot of those intense crazy rallies which I really enjoyed but when it's all said and done it did feel like Djokovic just blew through a player in his prime who's the best of his generation and did so without much difficulty in a U.S. Open where other than one match where he went down the first two sets he won every other match he played in straight sets um you look around at the draw you look Tsitsipas, Rud, Rune all top 10 players who lost in the first round um and like the, the Djokovic Alcaraz rivalry was kind of masking maybe the the hype for that was masking that like a lack of other contenders I'm not sure so I know a lot of people disappointed I think a lot of top seeds did perform poorly um I Fritz 
has never won a match against Djokovic in his life. So he, the only top 10 player, Djokovic has to play on his way to the final. Shelton obviously wasn't going to pose a risk. I found it interesting and exciting, a tense match. I'm so in awe watching the history being made. And like Medvedev said in the aftermatch interview, like it's such a bittersweet emotion towards Djokovic and Nadal for him. Like they've pushed him to play better, but also that was his fifth Grand Slam final. And he's only won one because of those two players. And uh, you just wonder if his time will be able to come because 27, like these are supposed to be the years he's playing the best tennis. And I, I think it was a match where if that he had played two points differently, one point differently in that second set, if he had hit that volley away cross from Djokovic instead of down the line to him, uh, it goes 1-1. Maybe Djokovic is more winded. Maybe Medvedev has more belief. Maybe it's still a blowout the next two sets for Djokovic because of that shoulder. I'm not sure. Um, I know I loved the t-shirt. I am among the people wondering if the all-white jackets the Djokovic team pulled out were left over from Wimbledon. Mm. And I, I'm just wondering how many more. <laughs> Australia coming up back next, his best slam. I really hope we see Nadal back on the tour next year. I think that will help LA some of the stuff, not to mention Nadal Alcaraz matches. I think we still need a couple more of those yeah. before Rafa hangs them up. Um, so I'm excited for the men's tour. I find it still continuously very enjoyable. Um, but yeah, maybe not the high quality quarters and semis and path for Djokovic in particular that people would have hoped for going in. Uh, it's yeah, it's a phenomenal performance nonetheless, and a fantastic week for the country of Serbia. Serbia is oh on the come up right now, right? We've got uh, Jokic, Finals MVP, NBA champion, of course, Djokovic, and then uh, kind of feeding into our next topic here. No Jokic, but. The Serbian national basketball team makes it to the FIBA World Cup final with a victory over Canada. And then even more shockingly, uh, Germany upsetting the U.S. in the other semifinal last Saturday. Uh, I want to give a congratulations to Germany for winning the gold medal. Uh, they went undefeated in the tournament. Truly the best team there. Uh, I don't think there's any dispute on that. Dennis Schroeder, I am so jacked up to have him on the Raptors this season, even if the NBA game is very different from FIBA. But just having a guy coming off uh, a player of the tournament performance for the FIBA World Cup is just something nice to have in the back pocket. Um, if he does end up being the starting point guard, he's just going to have a, a level of confidence that I think we're going to need this year. Serbia, of course, finishing with the silver medal. Uh, shout out to Bogdan Bogdanovic for his play. And then uh, Alexa Amramovic, uh, which I struggled through there, but a lot of people giving him credit for defensive player of the tournament. He gave Shea a lot of fits and, and was seemingly the only guy who was able to do so uh, over the last couple of weeks. But in fact, it does go to Canada's own Dylan Brooks, defensive player of the tournament, best defender in the world, best defender in the NBA best defender in the universe, whatever he said. Um, as much as it's fun to clown him and and can't wait for the NBA season to start, he did go out there and prove it. He had a fantastic defensive performance, 
barring foul trouble throughout the entire tournament. And then, of course, the cherry on top that had all U.S. basketball fans in absolute shambles (laughs) on Saturday morning was a 39-point performance from Dylan Brooks where he went seven of eight from three and hit some off the dribble and then absolutely just two smalled Austin Reeves a couple of times in the game. Just every every U.S. basketball fan's worst nightmare is getting sunned by Dylan Brooks. Uh, and they had everything to say at the beginning when he was getting into foul trouble. He had one bad shooting performance um, against Brazil. And then turning that around, he comes in and shoves it back in everyone's face. So awesome. Uh, he rides the line. You got to live with the good and the bad. But if he can truly tap into being that villain with like, like kind of towards the Draymond Green side of things where Green like has turned down the technical fouls to an extent. Uh, with a even, lot of help from the refs. Sure. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I, I'm looking for someone else uh like a robin lopez or like a serge ibaka right like an enforcer that you're intimidated by but they're not necessarily going to get a ton of technical fouls that hurt the team like he was brilliant against luka Doncic, um and and he was brilliant in this one against anthony edwards and and some of the other top creators for this u.s team and and canada jumped out to leads, then let them back in. That play by Mikel Bridges was phenomenal. The the intentional miss free throw to the three that ties it as the buzzer expires. But then uh when it gets down to clutch time, Shea Gilgis Alexander with the with the step back that will be on everyone's television for a couple of weeks. Uh Bridges touches the earth. Uh Reeves just gets toasted on defense as he did for much of that overtime. Shea hits the step back and then RJ Barrett with the dagger three as Canada wins their first ever FIBA World Cup medal, uh, defeating the United States. And in doing so, calls the friggin' Avengers from the NBA. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, Max. I have. LeBron James already indicating interest in playing in Paris in 2024. I think most of the players not only opted out because of an unwillingness to play, but it, it you forget it was in Korea last last time and uh or was it Korea? I'm not in 2018? sure. Now I need to or 2020, Tokyo. It was in Tokyo. So a little farther. And the pandemic, right? So mm-hmm. those two factors lend itself. It was the Olympics. Us. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean what was it before or after the bubble? I can't even remember now. It's all just the pandemic, like yeah. just the time suck. But there were reasons why those players didn't want to go. Paris is a lot more appealing. Like who doesn't want to go to Paris, right? It's a, yeah. it's an epicenter of culture and it's, it's LeBron's last run. And from this, you're getting interest from Kevin Durant, from Steph Curry, who I don't know has ever been to an Olympics. Like mm-hmm. I, 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 will, I can't. I, yeah. I, this it's the Avengers, but it's um, it's the supervillain Avengers from Hero Ball. It's the sure. old players yeah. who are past their prime and are still hanging on and still having an effect in the league. But this, yes, but you will get Anthony Davis, you will get Jason Tatum, you will get Devin Booker, right? Yeah. Like I think LeBron goes, the rest of the yeah. league is going to follow. And just... they're going to have to make some really tough decisions for that team. Like I cannot wait. 
to just see training camp, how that turns out. Yeah. It's, I mean, like they, the Canada loss, a study of its own, but where the U S has struggled, um, against Lithuania, against Germany, to my understanding was more the hole at center. And I don't think bringing in these big, these older guys, uh, is going to help with that hole that much. And I think in a different league with different refs, with a different style of play, that's more physical. Uh, I'm personally hoping for a rude awakening to all these players who might be thinking they've just got to show up. So the options they kind of have would be like Jared a, Allen, yeah. um, obviously Jaron Jackson Jr., not not the best rebounder, as people gave him a lot of flack for in this tournament. So you're maybe looking somewhere else. But uh, yeah, Jared Allen, maybe a Kevin Love, um, oh. and, then, and then the big name that everyone has circled is where Joel Embiid is going to end up. Because yeah. he has nationality, I believe, in Cameroon, France, and the United States. Yeah. And so that is that is the name that could swing it in the entire oh, tournament. Yeah. Um, so very fascinating to see where he's going to end up playing. He has his pick. Uh, I'd love to see an MB Wembenyama Gobert assortment <laughs> in France. Because... Um, it just it's not fair if he goes and plays with the states like that's that's the final yeah. piece that would solve yeah. all of their center issues um yeah so so fascinating uh to see what's going to happen there but i mean that's what you want right you want best on best mm-hmm. this might be the only time we ever get to see lebron play with curry besides an all-star game so i think that's really exciting and uh yeah bring it on Hopefully Absolutely. we get we get Wiggins and Matherin and uh Murray and Murray on board. Looking forward to that. Fantastic. All right. Uh we will take our pedal off of the NBA. Uh unless you want to talk about Lillard's comments they made like two hours ago. Despicable. Uh, what's despicable? The comments or what he he said what he, despicable. What he said, just mentioning that uh, he wouldn't show up for camp if he was traded to a quote team like Toronto. Yeah, so we got we get to we get to bathe in that for the next couple of days. But um, okay, yeah, Lillard showing his true colors, I guess, here at the very end, trying to get out of Portland as we get closer to training camp. We'll step aside that and head to the football fan cave here with a recap of Week One of the NFL. It's back, baby. It's back. And for those who are so excited for NFL football and lots of points, uh, they had to wait a couple of extra hours because the first early slate of games was sloppy. There were a ton of turnovers. There were a ton of penalties, people going offside on field goals and stuff like that. Like everyone just antsy and jumpy and uh, just read led for some really disjointed, slow moving, messy games. Um, and a couple of, uh, Exciting results. I mean, the the game of the day, I'd say, has to be the Miami Dolphins versus the Los Angeles Chargers. We said it was going to be weird and wacky. Uh, it ended up having a couple of interesting moments, but overall, Tua Tagovailoa, Tyreek Hill, what a combination. Tua goes for 460 yards, the fourth most ever in a week one NFL game, and Tyreek Hill goes for 260 receiving yards. And two touchdowns. It, he was just far and away the best player on the field 
on Sunday. Uh, no one could touch him. He was open everywhere and just so fast, so electric, so fun to watch. Um, the Chargers offense looked prolific in its own right, but when they needed a score most, they got sacked twice in a row and and go down and it's a disappointing loss to start the season and a big win for the dolphins as they head to new england for week two uh another disappointing starter of that nfl draft class joe burrow no training camp coming off the calf injury so plenty of excuses up front the weather was not ideal for their air raid style offense but the browns also played in that weather and deshaun watson i'll give him a grade of a b plus this weekend uh, and did enough. And the Cleveland Browns defense was the best unit in that game. Really shocking folks who uh, weren't paying attention to the talent that this team had coming out of camp. And they walloped the Bengals 24 to three at home to set uh, uh, their season off on the right track. I don't know who the player was, but I saw someone on the Bengals being, I can't, it was like a little video. It said, like, I called them all elves. Oh, and we got Chase. walloped by elves. Yeah, Jamar Chase, their uh, wide receiver one. Uh, the Browns, when they do their retros, they have an elf on the field as the like middle logo um, mm. and just called basically the city of Cleveland elves. And uh, yeah, got his got his butt handed to him. Um, a, a really dominant performance by Cleveland. It's got to have their fans super exciting going forward. A couple of dominations here. 49ers dominate the Steelers in a game that most were looking forward to and hope to be closer. But this 49ers defense is one of, if not the best units in the NFL. They fly around on defense. They make plays. They're fast. They're explosive. They're physical. Um, and Brock Purdy, again, just really had to manage the game, let Christian McCaffrey cook, let Debo Samuel cook. And then, of course, Brandon Ayuk, a first-round wide receiver that often gets overlooked on this team, uh, goes for two touchdowns and was really explosive. And, and this 49ers, they're a Super Bowl contender this year for sure. I was curious about Purdy going in. Like A lot of the times, that's like, one and done magic you get your one season so or I one one game isn't yeah. everything but that that still feels really big to me like if uh yeah he can be solid and continue being solid and not like you know i'm thinking yeah. about hockey goalies more than anything else like totally like the thing with brock is we still won't ever know how good he is unless there's some significant injuries to the san francisco team just because their roster as a whole is so amazing that yeah. he really just has to hand the ball off, make his first couple reads. Um, but who knows? There will be some moments this season when he's needed to step up. So fascinating to see if, like you said, he is above average or simply just steering the ship in the right direction. Fair weather sailing. Exactly. Uh, other domination, much to the chagrin of Chicago fans. Once again, Green Bay owns Chicago. It doesn't matter which franchise quarterback is behind center. It seems like they have a new one now in Jordan Love. Uh, who looked not special, but competent in the win. Uh, Green Bay, Chicago, kind of close to halftime. And then the Packers adjust. Second half, come out, dominate. Uh, Bears defense can't get a stop. Their offense really can't get rolling. And uh, Bears fans finally thought they had a guy in Justin Fields that could turn the franchise around, finally win this matchup. But Green Bay continues to own Chicago, and and the tears, I'm sure, taste very sweet in Wisconsin this week. Moving on, the Eagles and the Commanders survived their games where they were favored. Uh, Eagles beating New England 
uh, in Foxborough on a night where they honored Tom Brady. Uh, Patriots fans had to watch their team not get it done down the stretch with a guy in the stands who always got it done down the stretch. Uh, so just a tough look for there for them. And then of course the commanders first game of the new era without Dan Snyder in ownership, the vibes were tremendous. The team didn't play exceptional. Uh, their defense is really solid, but that Cardinals defense looked much better than everyone had anticipated. And the commanders squeaked by with a win uh, upsets. Tampa Bay Buccaneers go into Minnesota and upset Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. Cousins had over 350 yards, but just didn't look great overall operating that offense. So they're going to have some major adjustments to make. And then the Los Angeles Rams with a couple of rookie wide receivers or or first and second year wide receivers uh, go into Seattle and get a big divisional upset win. And, and Sean McVay just continues to own Pete Carroll in that matchup. Finally, Tonight's or Sunday night's game, we were looking forward to an exciting uh, Dallas Cowboys, New York Giants game. And uh, one of the teams didn't show up, just didn't bother to show up 40 to nothing. Uh, seven sacks. Hey, I was doing the tennis scores. A block kick. Exactly. Block kick, interception, pick six, Cowboys defense. <laughs> what a statement. Like incredible performance. One of the best you'll see all season just made Daniel Jones's life miserable. And the Giants fans who, after a season of promise where they made the playoffs, they actually won a, a first round playoff game. They got to feel like they're so much further away now because uh, that is a massive loss. And, and Dak Prescott didn't have to really do anything for the Cowboys. So he hasn't been tested yet. But this defense is super, super exciting in Dallas. Uh, they've got they've got dogs all over the field there. My fantasy player of the week, just rolling it back here to the Rams-Seahawks game. Fifth round pick, first rounder, Puka Nakua. With 10 receptions, 119 yards. To those super savvy fantasy players, one of the 2% that picked him up and started him this week, I salute you. Uh, No one saw this guy coming. He's going to be at the top of the waiver wire in every league this week. Um great game by him obviously with no cooper cup there were lots more targets to go around and share and, and van jefferson was not the wide receiver one that everyone thought he would be so instead puka nikua and tutu atwell uh received a lion's share of the throws from matt stafford who likes to throw the ball around and if he's healthy then this is a great pickup moving forward in the rest of your season looking forward to the bills jets kicking off just around now uh we'll have lots to talk about next time uh when we Get back from week two, but just an awesome first week of NFL football. It's back, baby. It's back. Yeah. And in the episode that doesn't air, I bitch about the UFC. I talk about how it's really losing my interest as a fan um, for all the wonders of the sport that is MMA, a sport where anything can happen. Oh, and normally what we mean by that is even if the guy is miles and leagues above the other guy in so many aspects, it just takes one punch to change the fight, to knock the other guy out. It can change in a second. The fight doesn't have to be completed perfectly for the whole time. That's normally what we mean. We we mean that Leon Edwards can land that head kick late in the fifth round, even though if he was behind against Kamaru Usman. 
what we don't normally mean is that a guy most people consider a journeyman with pillow hands can outbox and outstrike a striking master for 25 minutes. But that is exactly what happened Saturday night when Sean Strickland beat Israel Adesanya, who I think was a minus 670 favorite. Oh. Um, and it was a masterclass by Strickland. I am so so impressed. It was one of those performances where you just look and scratch your head how no one was able to crack this code before. I'm not sure how much its styles make fights. In hindsight, as we'll get to, there, there were some clear advantages and things he had going for him. Um, I'm not sure how much it was going to train with Alex Pereira, the guy who knocked him out and knocked Izzy out once and had beaten him twice in kickboxing. But uh, he does two things simultaneously so well. Constant forward pressure, pushing Izzy onto the back foot and trying to pin him against the cage while being incredibly defensively sound. Um, mostly in two areas really aware of the high kicks whenever they're coming and preemptively checking his leg every time Izzy might throw a leg kick. It, it was something he figured out Adesanya right at the start of his championship reign after the Romero fight, that his range and his ability to whip those kicks onto the calf um, were an incredible weapon that almost no one could deal with. And if they were on guard for them, that would really open up the hands. And that really set the tone for how he fought a lot of those championship fights. Um, Strickland, just he's pushing forward. He's watching the head kicks. He's not overly biting on the feints. He's keeping Izzy on the back foot. And every time Izzy turns, every time Izzy moves, every time Izzy th is thinking he might throw a leg kick, Strickland's lead leg was already in the arrow and there was no target for Izzy to hit. And in that first round, you could tell he wanted to set up the punches with the kicks. And because the kicks weren't landing, he threw like three, four, five punches that round. I don't think any landed. A one-two lands for Strickland in the last minute of the round after Strickland himself didn't throw much in the first three, four minutes. But all that pressure set him up a really clean square right hand on the jaw that knocked Izzy down and a scramble that ensued with so many shots uh, that throws me into another conundrum of when is the right time to stop an MMA fight, because a lot of the signs there, but is he completely fine at the end of the round? Uh, just another fun, confounding thing. A lot of credit to Adesanya. He realized he wasn't throwing his hands. He was walking too far backwards. He fixes those two things in the second round, starts throwing more, makes an effort to get on the front foot to push forward, not let himself be mowed down, starts finding a little more success with the kicks as well, takes that second round. But then Strickland gets back to it. Um, I think he realizes he has to accept a couple kicks because if he's always worrying about the kicks, it's harder for him to find the times to throw his hands, but he does enough balance of not letting the kicks accumulate and damage him and landing with the hands. And in the next three rounds, just walking Izzy down with pressure, he manages to sting him, to clip him, and to hurt him bad in each round, winning all of them, I thought, very decisively. Even that second round was almost a toss-up, like nudged Izzy's way, I guess, but not decisive at all. 
And then somewhere in those last three rounds, uh, Strickland simply breaks Adesanya in a way that I have not seen happen in the octagon. Like Izzy just had no answers. He had no idea what to do. He was tired. He was hurt. He was being pushed backwards. And the striking chess master with the incredibly deep bag, who's a master of angles and setups and feints and finding a way, gets outclassed and has nothing left uh, and breaks down. And like Strickland just keeps piling on the pressure, piling on the damage. It makes you think back to that Kelvin Gastelum fight about the wrestler with the constant pressure, with the awareness to stay just defensively sound enough. I mean, Strickland obviously did it 10 times better, not a mark on him throughout the fight, a bigger frame. And I don't think Izzy had hit his full championship potential in prime at the time of the Gastelum fight. Um, but a really interesting blueprint on how to beat the now 35-year-old Adesanya uh, has been set. And there's a new UFC middleweight champion. Let's hope Driscus Drisc Duplice gets the next title shot. Wow. What a result. Wasn't expecting it. Anything can happen and in more ways than one. Yeah. Another another villain to cheer against. Is it I mean, great timing with the UFC WWE merger this week. <laughs> I'm not letting myself think about that. All right. Finishing up here. Austin Matthews signs a four-year $53 million extension. I don't care about the money. Throw the money all the way out the window. I don't care. I don't want to hear it. He is a leaf for five more years. And that is all that matters to me. Because I love him. I don't think he should be getting paid more than McDavid, which he is. And salary cap's going up, just the market value. And I worry about getting Nylander as well with it. I'm less I'm, worried. Yeah. Matthews is a leaf, five more years. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. I don't want to be the sucker who's paying him 17 million when he's seven, 37 years old, but we'll get there when we get there. Love it. And finishing up the pod here, Blue Jays in their final playoff push. 19 games left in the season. They have a, a slight buffer here on uh, the last wildcard spot, currently sitting in the second wildcard spot. But they have a massive three-game series here against the Texas Rangers. They are losing game one as we talk, four to two. They're going to need to come back in this one. And, and if things hold steady, they are on a collision course with the Tampa Bay Rays yet again. So feels like Toronto Tampa just destined to meet these last couple of years in in multiple sports but um they've they've definitely turned it on 8 and 2 in their last 10 beating up on some weaker teams to gain traction and jump back into the wild card picture as last week they were not in a wild card spot um and it's really coming down to them to the Seattle Mariners and to the Texas Rangers here for the final two spots uh which is what makes this series so pivotal and exciting and that is going to do it for this one. We hope you found this podcast pivotal and exciting and want to wish everyone uh, a happy end of summer um, and welcome to September. We've got just awesomeness around the corner in terms of sports, in terms of Thanksgiving, in terms of fall weather and fall colors. So as much as it is sad to see the warm weather go, you just got to look to the awesomeness in front. So thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Max, I'll leave it to you. 
new season of sports, new era of the pod coming up. Looking forward to seeing how that shapes up and tweaks out. Hope you'll be there to listen with us. Till next time, Sports Next Door is signing out.